You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We talk about our journeys, how we move through the hard stuff, how we make big things happen, move through fears, doubts, shame, all of that stuff that comes up, and how it's up to us to claim it, to claim our joy, our worth, our value, our enoughness. On today's episode, I have a good friend of mine, Stephanie Stevy Alexander. Stevie and I met on tour years ago. I was working as a joyologist for Colby Calais, and she was singing background vocals for Cheryl Crow. So we toured together, and I just loved her immediately, and we've become amazing friends since then. So I wanted to talk to her about her journey in becoming a backing vocalist. So not the person at the front of the stage, but singing with these huge... I mean, she has toured with like icons above icons above icons. Like currently... She was just singing with Barbara Streisand, right? Big time. So she also does a lot of other things. She's now entered into the world of acting, which we didn't talk about. Music therapy, which we didn't talk about. (laughs) She was also a mom at 16, I believe, which we do talk about. And what we also got into besides her journey in making this career happen is that at this time, she was about to go into back surgery and she'd been really struggling with physical pain for a year or two at this point that was got her in a really low, low place. And since I have always struggled with chronic pain and fatigue from being diagnosed with fibromyalgia, we get into, she had learned some different things about how physical pain and emotional pain affect the body and these different things. So we have a conversation about that and um, what my thoughts on that from someone that has dealed with this sort of invisible disease for my entire life and then her dealing with her this debilitating pain. So, very interesting. So first half is more about her music path, dreams, career, and then the second half is about the medical stuff, which again, I think it's very very interesting whether you deal with pain like this or not. So here we go. So, I know you as being Hi, Trisha. First of all, <laughs> there will be an intro oh, okay. <laughs> for people listening. But, but hi. I want to make sure to officially greet you as we start. Okay. Well, yeah, well, all, what do you prefer to be called? Stevy. Stevy. That's what I thought. But I'm thinking I, I ask. Yeah. Sometimes people end up, you know, old growing, changing. Um, you know, the OG Stephanie, it's but it's Stevy. Yeah. I've only known you as Stevy, though. Oh, okay. Good. Perfect. But do you remember that for I don't know how many years of knowing you, I thought it was Stevie, Stevie. and you did not correct me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so polite of me. I didn't know that. Because even on the way before I went here, I was like, yeah, you know, my friend Stevie. And they're like, Stevie? Do you mean Stevie? Oh, and I was like, hilarious. well, I was like, I used to call her or that. Stevie. And she didn't correct me. And then I go, or wait, am I calling her the wrong name now? No, I can't remember. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's Trisha, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's indeed Debbie. <laughs> Trisha. But you didn't correct me. I didn't know that I did it. Maybe <laughs> it was because when we were on tour. But from years after that, it was really? a while. I mean, we weren't like hanging out every yeah. day. You know, we'd see a couple, a couple times a year yeah. whenever we're talking and about it. And you'd be like, yeah. Stevie, and I'd be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> 
that's awkward again. One of these days I'm going to get that right. <laughs> I don't even remember where that's what's really funny. But you know, I'm, honestly, when people say Stevie, I actually respond because a lot of times I know they mean Stevie. Yeah. So it's not that big of a deal. It looks like Stevie. but it's- Yeah. I'm like, that's why I. It's forgivable. Yeah. All right. But when I met you, you were singing with Cheryl Crow and her band. And so I got to know you as a background singer. Yeah. How did you, where did that all start? Mm. Did you always sing, want to sing, want to make a career out of singing? Great questions. <laughs> um, I can honestly say I had always been singing, but I didn't necessarily believe I could have a career in singing. Okay. I don't come from a family that's a stage family by any means. So it wasn't a reality where I came from. So in like the back of your mind, you're growing up, you love singing, you love, did you love even performing? Would you do anything you could to be like singing in front of people or you just like love singing? Yes. And did people tell you you had a good voice growing up? Totally. (laughs) Okay. Like, and I'm actually very shy. To this day, I am super, well, I'm an introvert for one, but number two, I'm just, I'm not really good at putting myself out there. So for me, it's mostly that I love music and I love being a part of music. And so growing up, people would kind of like usher me along like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You're going to sing a solo in church. And it would be like pulling hair. Okay. But so, so you loved singing, enjoying it. You never really thought singing as a career was possible. No. When did that start to shift? You know, it's did funny. It just you kept I'm were giving still these not opportunities. Sure. <laughs> I'm still not sure a career is possible <laughs> in singing. <laughs> you have been paid money to sing for, for how long now? Years. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So, okay, somewhere <laughs> along the way, I figured it out. But uh, honestly, it's funny because. When I was graduating from college, I had a... And what'd you go to college for? So I'm kind of jumping ahead in the story a little, but I got a degree in business. And the reason I got a degree in business is because I got pregnant at the age of 16. And when I was in college, at one point, my dad was like, why don't you major in music? And I thought, how... dad. He actually did say that. Whoa. Amazing, right? He did. He, he did volunteer that. But at the time I looked at him and I was like, that seems so ridiculous and whimsical. I have a son. Like I need to get a degree in something practical. So at that age, when you're entering college, are you already in college? And hadn't chosen a, what do they call those things? Focus. <laughs> Diploma? No, but like you haven't chose a a major. Major. Yeah, a major. Yeah. That word slipped my mind. Yeah. So anyway, you're entering college. So then if he's saying, why don't you pursue music? What did it happening before then? Had you been singing? Yes. Like just singing in school things, church things, whatever. But was there any like, oh, you're singing in a band, you're trying like what? Yeah, no, that's another good question. So before I even started college, I had been singing all my life in church. My father's a pastor. He's what's known as a bishop and of the Christian denomination called Pentecostal, which for any of the listeners who don't know, it's the most 
colorful denomination mm. of Christianity. When you think about people dancing around in church and speaking in other languages, that was our group. Oh, okay. So it was like speaking in tongues and that whole thing. So very conservative Christian dad. I told you that, oh, because I grew up singing in church. So from as long as I can remember, I would sing in church was a big part of our lives. We'd go every Sunday and every day throughout the week. And in church, you sing a lot. So I grew up sort of being trained musically from that experience. And then I, while I was in high school, I would leave my high school, which was in like this nice white part of town. And I would go to a city next door, which was not as nice and white. (laughs) And they had a gospel choir that was like a regional gospel choir. And we would go three days out of a school week. So like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'd go to different high schools and we'd rehearse this gospel choir. And I did that every single week for like the first three years of high school. And then as I finished high school, I actually went into college and I got a record deal while I was in college. So midway through my college career, I'm recording constantly. I'm singing in two different girl groups and like doing the national anthem at the Portland Trailblazers game and stuff like that. And so my dad was like, what music? That happened. You know, honestly, I have to say I was blessed when I started singing. It's the kind of thing that people always ask me, how do you become a singer? How do you become a professional singer? How do you get into this? And I honestly tell them you have to get found, meaning you have to go out there. I was about to say, you got to, that must mean you have to put yourself in places to be found. Exactly. And these days, that doesn't just mean American Idol and The Voice. Although that's but good those too. Are great. Yeah. You show up, keep auditioning, show yourself up. And back in whatever year this was, we didn't have those platforms. Yeah. So it was a little more local. Yeah. But I basically sang wherever, you know, I just wanted to be musical. And so I sang as much as I could and people would find me and they would go, okay, sweetheart, you got to get across town because there's this audition and you need to be there. And so that's kind of how it worked out. So you would be like singing when you're like, I'd be singing anywhere, like where, like name a place you were singing and someone said, you got to go here. So I used to sing, uh, like I sang in AXO. I don't know if you know what AXO is. It's like a um, historically black competition nationwide. Okay. It's the AXO competition, A-C-T-S-O, AXO. Don't ask me what it stands for at this point in my life, academic something or other. And, um, you know, I performed in that. I did talent shows. And people from high school would see these shows and they would say, hey, you need to connect with this person. And so by the time that momentum catches up, I'm in two different girl groups. I'm in college singing constantly. Get a record deal. Record the album. Record record deal was for you. It was actually a girl group. A girl group. Okay. Mm -hmm. The ill-fated girl group. The (laughs) ill-fated girl group. (laughs) And we were signed to Columbia Records. Wow. That's pretty major. Yeah, it was official. Our A&R person was, um, I don't know if I can say his name, but his name was Sam Sapp. And he had actually discovered Will Smith. So because of that, we were like, oh, we're good. Like, yeah. we're so, we have like the perfect golden child championing our project at the label. Um, and then a new regime came in and they ousted him under some criminal charges. Okay. That's why you're wondering if he could say his name. Yeah. yeah okay. I was like, I'm pretty sure you can <laughs> mention his name, name right? rep's name. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so it, it was at that point that, um, long story short, um, like Diana Ross took an interest in our group. I, I don't know how we got 
inter- introduced to Diana Ross, but like I remember going to her home over wow. in um, like Brentwood and I met her son, Evan, even then he was like little and she was starting a label and she was like, I want to sign your girls group. This was after we lost the first deal. I want to so sign. That guy got ousted. Ousted. And so then whoever he signed sort of got dropped. pushed. Yeah. Got like pushed to the bottom of the heat. Yeah. So we took the album, the masters, because it was completely finished. And then we, you know, we had a That's meeting. That's pretty awesome that you got to take the album. Yeah. I well, we tried. Yeah, we did. We, I think we had some control in where we took it. They were like, well, if you want to take it somewhere, cool. So we had a meeting with Jimmy Iovine and we met with all these different people. And Diana Ross was one of those people. And she was starting a label and she said, well, we're not ready. You know, we should be ready in, in a year to get things really going. So if you could just give me that time. Oh. So she, she was like, in the meantime, and I don't know how I got picked, but in the meantime, I want you to go on tour with me to Europe. <laughs> wow. So somehow out of my three girl group, she picked me to go to Europe and sing background. And that was my first background gig was with Diana Ross. Wow. And, and I you missed were my graduation ha- ceremony. How old were you? I was 22. Okay. So graduating mm-hmm. from college. At 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was on the six year program. <laughs> I didn't even, that math seemed normal to me. It's not. I mean, these days it is because most schools take five years to get through. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And I went full time the whole time. But um, so yeah, I missed my graduation ceremony because I went to Europe with Diana Ross. And it was at that point that I was like, I think I'm going to give music a try. (laughs) Oh, so even with getting the record deals and all of these other things, you still were just like, well, that's cool. But you didn't see it as your life profession well it's it's like my parents were this is gonna sound mean but they were kind of not really involved or supportive necessarily supportive yeah they weren't necessarily supportive um and so without their input I sort of felt like well I'm just gonna see how this goes but I wasn't really clear in my focus because again it just seemed so far-fetched right and my family is so religious that I couldn't imagine myself being this like really outgoing, crazy artist. Um, but I knew that I had some talent and I knew that things kept coming around for me. So yeah, around about the time I had a record deal and Diana Ross inviting me to Europe, I was like, I think I'm going to try this. And so then that's major, but then also how old was your son? Yeah. So at this time, my son was six. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm assuming that your parents watch him while you went on tour. Like, and how yeah. was that? And to make the conversation and like, I have this major opportunity. Yeah. But I have to, I'll be gone. Yes. The good Six thing. Six feels like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's still yeah. really young, but it's different than like two. leaving a two-year-old. Yeah. Or, and luckily for me, I was wasn't. in school. Well, mm-hmm. it was summer, but like, he's got things going on. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I guess at this point is probably just finishing kindergarten and he's a little older now. Um, and I think I just moved out of my parents' home. So there's a lot of transition, but, um, the first time I went on tour with Dan Ross, I was only gone for two weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's it was still like a good amount of time to be away from your son, especially if it was like the first like, yeah. the time like that. But yeah. yeah, two weeks is much different than two months or six months. Oh no. Yeah. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But just this short run, it was like, all right, well, cool, let's do it. And my mom and dad were awesome. And, you know, his, my son's father was also very involved, sort of. 
We'll get into that more later. So even though you felt like your parents might not have been in support of it first, when you got this offer from Diana Ross, well, yeah. then they were like, okay. Well, the funny thing is, I don't think my dad could deny, could deny rather Diana Ross. Yeah. Like if Diana Ross is like, your daughter should come on tour with me. My dad was going to be like, oh, all right. Yeah. So yeah. maybe like when you had the record deal, was he still like unsure? Because it didn't, it wasn't like a solid thing yet. You know what's funny is I don't even know if they really knew what was going on in my oh, life. You when were. I think about it in retro, I don't think they even really had a clue. Because I was just, I was working full time. I was going to school full time. And when I wasn't doing either of those things with my son in my arms, I would run off to like Burbank and record. And so I think in my off time, my parents didn't really know where I was going and coming from. But, you know, you know how it is when you're 22. You're not really up under your parents. Yeah. But I'm like, I feel like you being 22 was different than me being 22 because you had a six-year-old. And I'm guessing they must have helped out. Yeah. Let me tell you when they would help when I was at work and at school. (laughs) (laughs) And every other point I was, you know, holding it down. Yeah. Yeah. As it should be. Yeah. Okay. So Diana Ross, mm-hmm. you come back from that. Mm-hmm. Do you then end up getting picked up by other tours? Does that record deal actually happen? So no, Diana Ross's label never <laughs> took off, <laughs> which no surprise. Like, I don't think she was really built to be a label. She's yeah. an artist. So that didn't come to fruition and that was okay. Um, I, I like to say to people that I went to school for six years to get a business degree to become a substitute teacher so that I could become a singer. So you became a substitute teacher. You got back from tour with Diana Ross. <laughs> yeah. So I got back from tour with Diana Ross, still kind of hoping this album that we've created is going to land somewhere at a label. And in the interim, I get back from my first overseas trip with Diana Ross and I'm like, well, I got to get a job. So I start substitute teaching in between singing um, just to you know pay the bills and be an adult. and. Next thing I knew, I was going to another audition for an artist named Kenny Lattimore. And that wasn't very long after Diana Ross. And that was really the beginning of everything. And that was to be a background singer. And that was a background singer. For a tour? For a tour. Mm-hmm. And that was probably around 97. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And a really good friend of mine to this day, his name is Gordon Campbell. Amazing, brilliant drummer. He, I was going to record at his house. He had been looking for a demo singer, as they call them, you know, someone to come over and record their ideas. So, yeah. So I know what a demo singer is, but for mm-hmm. people that don't know what mm-hmm. a demo singer is. So before Celine Dion sings whatever her my heart huge, will go my on. heart will go on, some one person has to go in there and reference it and like mark the song for her. So that's a demo singer. The reference at marking the song, you, but it basically means you deliver it. You're, re- you sing the song mm-hmm. with piano or guitar or whatever is mm-hmm. happening maybe the full maybe the full instrumentation instrumentation mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. then when they send songs off to submit for Celine yes. Dion whoever it may be yes then they're like oh yeah I can hear myself on this song yes. but so that they can help to be like if they're saying yes or no to this song that someone has written absolutely so producers are always looking for demo singers to come in and like track their ideas so, so you had been doing that. So I Gordon. met this guy named Gordon who had been looking for a demo singer. He knew one of my, the people involved with my album and they're like, oh, again, this is a perfect example of, of people will usher you along on your journey. 
Um, her name was Lisa. Lisa was like, oh, you need to get my girl Stephanie to your Wait, studio. Lisa uh, Fisher? No, I wish. No, okay. no, I love Lisa Fisher. I was though. Like, <laughs> she is definitely a part of my world, <laughs> but not in this instance. <laughs> this is a different Lisa. But she's like, you need to get my girl Stephanie over there. She's waiting for her album to drop. She's a dope singer, you know, whole thing. So he has me come over. We're recording midway. This is my first time meeting this guy. Midway through the session, he's like, what are you doing Thursday? We're having an audition for Kenny Lattimore. You should come down. Yet again, it's the kind of thing where people, they usher you through it. it. It's amazing. So I go down to the audition and I'm in the room with some badass singers. Can we curse on this podcast? Oh, hi. (laughs) Have you met me? (laughs) I call bullshit. (laughs) I'm in the room with some amazing, amazing people. And are you like in the room for the audition? So like you're just sitting there, this person goes up and sings and you're just like hanging out for your turn. Kind of. Yeah, it was it was like. Definitely. You're not like in the next room. You can hear, you're like oh, hearing no. every single- we're all in the same room together. Like, yeah. And it's funny because at that time I was- You lot- were just probably so excited or did you start to get- No, I was a little more fearless. I was just yeah. like, yeah, I know I'm dope. Like, <laughs> let's right. go. Like, come on. So, you and know- did you also kind of feel like I have nothing to lose? Because you was like, this is my first time. Like, kind of like, it's not that big of a deal because it's like, wow, this is cool, but I don't even know what it is. And it's my first time. So like not too much weight in it. Or were you like- I'm going to fucking get this. I'm dope. No, I think it was just more like, I don't remember being that nervous. I just went in and I think it felt familiar. You know, keep in mind, I'd already recorded an album. I'd been like singing in church and performing with talent shows. And I knew the milieu, if you will. Like I knew the context. So I went in, I saw who was in the room and I was like, cool. I can also, I think I'm thinking to myself, I'm an artist getting ready to be dropped. So this is nothing like <laughs> a little bit entitled too. Right. So, you know, I went up and harmonized with the other girls and got the gig. And that was the beginning of the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Did you ever the of it. then realize prior to this, like, oh, right. Background singers exist. I could do that. And I think that's the funny thing is because I wonder how many singers do realize and see that as a path if they love singing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny because so many people have come to me over the years specifically because they want to sing background vocals. Um, It's a different journey than an artist. And yeah, I'm sure then there's some people like they want to sing. They want to sing their songs or they want to. They have that performance and being front like in being in front part of that's whatever but that I'm sure there's a lot of people that just like oh my gosh I love singing how can I make money singing and then it's like to do that like yeah but yeah like guessing a lot of taking ego out of it yeah I mean and not necessarily singing the songs you want to sing all the time it's funny though if you actually think about what a background singer does is we get the best of all the worlds because instead of having to do the same 12 to 15 songs every night I get to work with different artists and sing the best of their material for a period of time and then go do something different. Yeah. So it's like kind well, of amazing. But you are for every night, sometimes for a long a year. chunk of time while you're working 200%. with that person. Yeah. yeah. But then I get to leave it and go in, ingratiate myself and engross myself in another artist's material. And so it's, it, there are so many benefits to it. But I think in general, like I have some friends who are in my community who never wanted to be artists. They only ever wanted to sing background. There's a specific thing with harmonizing with people. You have to want to be a team player. Right. You have to want to sing with people. You can't be. Because you're not like trying to stand stand out out necessarily. You're like 
adding a little something to yeah. it and like seeing where you can fit and mix and blend. Because even if like, right, if somebody's voice is too similar than you, then you're yeah. trying to like go higher or lower. I'm, no, this Trisha's okay. making shit up. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm looking at her with squinty eyes like, I don't know what I'm talking She's about. She's like, save me now. Save me now. I'm going down. <laughs> no, it's a lot of what you said. You know, it's, you're providing this beautiful pad, this cushion of sound. And, but you have to blend with the people you're standing with. And it's, it's an art. It's a total yeah. art. And when, when you and these three or four people get your blend, there's this thing that happens where it rings and it like bounces sonically. And we all feel it like in our chest and it's the most beautiful thing. And there are certain singers I work with all the time where I get the ring. And so, mm. and so it's its own thing. Um, but being an artist is amazing. It's just a harder road. To be oh. the front yeah. person yeah for sure yeah so you know you have to be up for it and as i was like but some people they just know that's inside of them and if they sure. tried to just be the background person then they would be like hating their life sure perhaps totally yeah and if you saw the movie 20 feet from stardom yes <laughs> stevie and some other amazing background singers were featured along with lisa fisher, fisher who we mentioned who got named before it's amazing we love her I said something in that film to the effect of um, a lot of people who sing background, you know, they're obviously great talents and they might be beautiful or whatever the situation is, but they're not good self-promoters. They're just not good at playing political political games rather, or being competitive sometimes. So you end up being a working singer. There's a stigma attached to the word background singer. I don't necessarily say it that way, but some people do. So I like to say a working singer because it's true. I make a lot of my money um, doing commercial jingles, um, recording for albums, doing live performances, tours, you know, very different things, but you're a working singer. Yeah. And a lot of what you do is singing background. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. here, we need you to sing this. We need yeah. you to, can you do it? Huh? Can you do Be a demo this? singer? Can you do that yeah. this way? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of mm, dictation totally. being sent your way. Totally. Like there's so many ways to be a working singer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so that started the ball. That started the That's ball. The and that was like, really, you just kept then getting picked up for tours. And yeah, after Kenny Lattimore, you know, the beautiful thing about that gig is, and that's how it works. And I, again, I, when people ask me, how did you get into this? You get found, you do a great job, you're a professional and your reputation precedes you. It yeah. grows. It totally in this one. business. That's a big one. It that you know a lot of it is like oh well it's about who you know but also like who you are yeah <laughs> good call yeah yeah and that it is like then you're just putting yourself out there but then even like so if you are somewhere then being with the people and opening yep. up and that yep. you know oh hi I'm this person this person they remember that connection then be like oh yeah she did a good job but she also I remember that conversation I had yep. with her like that I feel like that can play into it and they're like oh mm -hmm. we needed somebody for this project oh I know so and so yeah so it is who you know. But obviously there's some substance behind that yeah. just because I know that person. You are your best calling card and just a business card. You know, it yeah. sounds cheesy, but it's true. You are your own campaign, your real life campaign for yourself. And so when I was in Kenny's band, you know, I was surrounded by some of the most amazing musicians who were on their way up to be musical directors. And so as I did great on that particular project, everybody disperses onto the next project and then they call you for something else and they tell someone else to call you. Yeah. So hey, we need there. a singer for this project. Call my girl right. stuff. Yeah. And at that point, you get to a place in your career when you're no longer auditioning. You just people go, yep, this is who you need. 
and it's it's lovely. <laughs> it's really lovely. <laughs> so I want to talk about then, yeah, so being a working singer, let's say for live, then how did you deal with and maybe still deal with the fact of like, like I said, that I'm guessing that their people are like, no, you need to do it like this. And maybe not so much anymore because they like know you, but like, no, we need to hear it like that. Or that's not good. Or like, no, I need you to, you're not doing it right. Because mm -hmm. it sometimes can be like, you mm -hmm. are doing it right, but they're mm -hmm. not hearing what they want to hear. And they mm -hmm. maybe aren't using the right words or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like. You're talking you, about like criticism? Yeah. Or just like, they're trying to get this out of you. And maybe, and it could just be like, you're doing it, but they're not describing it way. So yeah, like yeah. how you're able to show up and be like, okay, they want this for me. and they're, now they're saying this to me, like, yeah, so dealing with criticism or just them trying to get what they want out of you and like navigating that. You know what I mean? I've never had to deal with that because I always nail it. I'm just <laughs> kidding. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. God's honest truth. Let me think here. Um, Because it's like, I have to imagine the most on it, perfect yeah. singer or whatever. Then of course, though, there's going to be like, oh, no, I want to hear it a different oh, way. Are you going to do it this way? Or that's not what I want. Because sometimes it's just even the fact that they didn't communicate. Or I even yeah. doing monitors remember people using the crazy objectives. Like, can you can you make it more shiny? Right. Or like, hey, what the fuck what does, does that, that mean? mean? Yeah. Like, you know, right. like sometimes people are just throwing out these random terms. terms. Like, I have to figure out what they yeah. mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, more than criticism, and that's what I'm like, I'm not even criticism, just like even no, no, direction. No, no, yeah. of, like even in the rehearsal process, right? Yeah. Like that's how what do I'm you imagining. get to the finished project, product rather? I, it's funny because I'm trying to think of a time when I've had more issues with people trying to alter my actual aesthetic look than my, oh. than my vocal stylings. <laughs> but I think when it, Interesting. <laughs> when I think it comes to creating the product, I think there have just been times when we over-rehearsed. So we rehearsed ad nauseum. And I remember one particular MD, bless his heart, I won't say his name. But MD we would, is musical, musical director. Musical director. MD, not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> they're self-important, but they're not doctor That just kept showing up on our rehearsals. And he, was not, <laughs> he was not qualified to do CPR. This is hurting my ears. No, this is not approved. <laughs> Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> so the musical director, the MD, we were in rehearsal and I just remember I was still like young in the business. So of course I don't have agency to like call any shots whatsoever, but he made us sing like one song, like eight or nine times in a row, just go to sing it again. And it, there was nothing wrong with the song. <laughs> it was fine. But he was just... Was he having you do it in different ways or anything? Or just like, not nah, play it again? even. And I think that the thing is, you learn over this process of dealing with people, as we all do, you're going to run into different styles. And I think that for me over the years, I've learned who I work well with. As a, for instance, someone like Sheryl Crow. It was one of my most wonderful working experiences because one thing I learned from her, and I learned so much from her, well, one thing I learned from her is hire great people, take good care of them, and don't micromanage. So we'd get in rehearsal. We'd all listen to the music. We'd come together. We'd, you know, workshop stuff. We'd try a couple different things sonically, like production in terms of the instrumentation. But vocally, I think as a background singer, I'm putting air quotes, you really learn to listen to the artists. So even in rehearsal, you try to avoid them even having to give you notes. Because you're trying to intuit what they need. 
You have to know what the song needs, what it's, what it's asking for. You also have to understand that what's on the recording. Sorry, we have a car going by. <laughs> this is real life happening, people. <laughs> you, you have to even recognize that what's going on on the recording is not what's going to happen live. You interpret what's on the recording. So all these things are like rehearsal notes, but I've never really had an artist say, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Not, not really that I can think of. I can't think of anything, but I'm sure there have been times. But rehearsals are really just about kind of showing up and bringing your best. And I think that that's an ongoing theme for me is just bringing my best so that I don't have to be told. What about, has there been struggles with the other singers sometimes and like fine? Cause yeah, like, yeah, again, I'm not a hundred percent if I know what I'm talking about, but like, if you have a similar range or like, you need to take this part or that, or like, yeah. or just egos or yes. whatever, all sorts of things. Like you're working with like the team of the whole band, but then you also, if you're working with the other singers, it's yes. like, feels like it's a whole nother layer. Like, yeah, it is. And I definitely have stories about that. Sometimes you get into groups because I've done a lot of house bands with like Ricky Minor, like you'll do an award show or something. So that would be award show house band. So they hire the top people to play all the instruments, the singers. And then it's like, Cheryl Crow is coming up and singing a, and then Celine Dion song. And, and then, then yeah, so it's like Elton they're John. just play, singing everybody's song, backing everybody's yes, song for this one event, right? So um, we might, I might get to work with a ton of different singers in a small amount of time because I'm doing different house bands. So in a situation like that, you know who you work well with at a certain point, but then you'll get thrown in with someone who we call them the lead background vocalist. Okay, <laughs> and they are someone who they want to be in charge. They want to like tell you what to do and be all in your parts. And, and I, I've just learned how to work with people. I think that's the biggest thing with this particular career is everything is collaboration and you have to learn how to kind of massage egos. So yeah. if someone comes in and they want to be, you know, in charge, you have to kind of step to them a little bit. You have to kind of like push back a little, but like gently because you want to keep the vibes positive. But you have to let them know, hey, we're a team. You're not in charge. Uh, that, that happens a lot. Without, yeah, saying it in a way that makes them even more on the defense. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so that happens sometimes. But most of the people that I came up with in this business are amazing and warm and generous and supportive. And so I feel lucky in that way. I will say that when I moved back east to New York, I noticed that the background singing community was far more territorial in oh. Caddy. Towards you towards even everybody there or did towards you feel other. it as like oh you LA coming no, on our turf <laughs> not even towards me towards each other oh, just okay. in general they were much more like I, f I feel like in LA if I couldn't do a gig I would just call up somebody else and say hey can you do this done easy but in New York they wouldn't give you anything <laughs> it's just the way New York is yeah yeah it's really like you gotta fight yeah you you have to kind of claw for it so you know, there are little things that you come up against. Um, again, I've had artists tell me to wet my hair so it didn't stand out more than theirs on stage. Oh, interesting. I ran into that a couple of times, which was really stinky, but that's people. Yeah. So these things come up, but... Yeah, most... what else? You were talking more like you've had more notes on like physical oh, appearance. Yeah. So like what you're wearing, what you your body looks like. All of that, yes. I have had people put me in horrible outfits to cover my body. I've had people put me in no outfits to show my body. Wow. <laughs> I've had female artists tell me to 
like tame my hair so that it didn't draw attention from them. You know, this is just the human side of things. And they're not probably saying, I need you to tame your hair so it doesn't draw attention to you. Or they're just saying, or they do. They kind of verbalized it. They did say that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like in so many words. Yeah. Can you like, can you calm your hair down? I'm exactly. (laughs) Keyword, background sister. I mean, (laughs) there was one artist I worked with and she and I look like sisters, granted. But, you know, one day in rehearsal, we're all figuring out where we're going to be on stage. And she turns to me and she goes, you need to be over there. Meaning the very end of the background singer line, because you look too much like me. And I just, I can't help what I look like. You hired me. So, I don't know. Like, it's just... What does that stuff do when that happens? Like, how are you able to then show up and do your best or show up and do your best performance wise also, but then like feel good about who you are? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's character building. (laughs) Cause you know, at a certain point you realize some of your heroes are really tiny on the inside. Yeah. And that's a little disappointing when you see like the, the, frail human side of the ego. You're just like, oh, so I'm very sensitive to that and, and almost overly sensitive. I'm very careful to not step in people's lanes, the artist's lanes. And I think that's one reason why I've worked so much is because I've become really, really good at intuiting an artist's needs, both musically and personally and writing my lane. And so you're able to see, okay, like it's not, that's not on me. I'm going to do what they need of me. I'm going to tame my hair. I'll put this outfit on. I'll stand in the, cut a line. But that's not because there's something wrong with me. It's just like, they've got something. They're, they're holding on to something. They've got something they were working through. So you're able to do, see it that way. Sometimes. <laughs> not every time. I didn't tame my hair actually either time. Wow. No, I, honestly, it's funny because did that end up being an issue? Well, the funny thing is the girls I was singing background with, they were there for each conversation. And both of the other girls in both instances were like, absolutely not. She's not combing her hair down. They stood up for me. They said it they, to the artist sure, even. They said it to the artist's representative who were coming to deliver the Got message. It. I was about to say, yeah. when you said, yeah, no, they said that. I was like, did they? <laughs> well, okay. They sent someone to tell me. They sent me. someone to tell me. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. And so the people I was singing with, the other what? singers were like, absolutely not. So they went to bat for me on those. But in other instances, I definitely have learned how to like kind of make yourself a little bit, not small, but you just learn how to pull it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then have you had to at all do that in your singing then too? Like does somehow does <gasps> any artists have had like, does it, can you tell where like they're Stand like, out wow, you guys sound too good. Uh, let's see. Let No. Yeah. That's a good question. Let's see. I think that may have come up, but it was never said. <laughs> it might have been like, oh, all right. You know, but it was never really directly addressed. Yeah, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it, it's been all love. I've, I've been lucky enough to work with great people. And I've had really positive experiences except for the hair. <laughs> I did work with Britney Spears. I was trying to think of an instance with Britney Spears, but she was actually always really easy to work with as well. And she didn't care if her singers were really great singers. I mean, she wanted us to be, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Was, yeah. Was that like back when she was 
newer. This was actually during the Kevin Federline years. Oh my goodness. I oh, don't yeah. even remember. That was pretty early on, right? It was 2000 and... Like what four? album or something? Though. It was the Onyx Hotel. Oh, no, I'm no. not that big. Me of, against I don't the, really me know against the music. If that's, I don't even know how many albums she's put out or anything. Toxic. That was the single. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Toxic was a big song. So I did that album of oh, that concert tour. Um, yeah. Okay. So you, like you mentioned, have worked with a lot of different amazing people. Mm-hmm. Have that? Are there ever times that you're like, have a little bit of fear or fright from like, oh shit. I'm about to sing with Barbara Streisand, which you have <laughs> been doing. Yes, I have. <laughs> and continue. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is fear. And like how you get past that so you can actually perform. Because I would assume the fears and doubts because then inhibit your singing and your performance. So yeah. how do you get out of your head? Oh, my God. To That's let a, it come through you. That is a, oh no, once again, a great question. <laughs> you are great at this. Um, there are fears, 200% there are fears. (laughs) I would probably go so far as to say I have performance anxiety, but you know, I'm really good at, I think I'm pretty good at getting out of my head at a certain point. It's almost as simple as literally just disconnecting myself and almost being an observer of my moment rather than being lost in it, if that makes sense. So does that mean like, you can have this performance anxiety. And what does that like look like? For me, it's a lot of sleeplessness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like, I'm going to start working with Barbara Streisand. I'm just going to throw that name out there. Yeah. Or like, because that seems like one that could be intimidating. Stress inducing. <laughs> Stress inducing. So you're not maybe able to sleep as easy a night because is that, are you imagining I mess up or I'm not good enough or? Um, I'm like really diving in. Yeah, that. you are. <laughs> Okay, so, Let's explore. So, yeah, it, it's funny because with Barbara, I actually have a lot more comfort. And the only reason I do is because I love the women I'm singing with. We sound- well, I'm just saying like even like before yeah. you even started working with right. her or something, because that you don't know. Right. What she's going to be like. Yeah. Yes. I mean, for, for me, I think the performance anxiety and the stress of it becomes part of my everyday life. So, for instance... I know that as a singer, I have to sleep a lot. I have to get good quality rest. Because it would affect your it affects how voice. you sound and how you, yeah, how you vocalize. So number one, that's the first thing that goes out the window. You can't sleep, right? I mean, Murphy's you're worried Law, about right. You're overthinking, you get in bed, you can't shut your brain off to get a good night's sleep. You go into rehearsal the next day and you're croaky, <laughs> right? Self-sabotage to the highest degree. So things like that. But I spend my entire life when I'm working on a project like a Barbara or a Fleetwood Mac or a Game of Thrones. All artists tours that she has sung with. Yay. Toured with. I'm lucky. <laughs> when I've been on projects like that, the whole entirety of my life goes toward being successful at the project. So I eat certain things. I make sure I get sleep. I'm hydrating profusely. I am avoiding talking. I am avoiding alcohol. Like, so these are all things that kind of manage my stress, if you will. So in my head, my stress is heightened. All I can do is think about the project, the project, the project. But I do all these things. You're starting to take so much better care of your body. Yes, to take care of my voice. So that you feel like that might help to minimize. My stress. 
And so what happens is when you do everything you know you're supposed to do, then when I get out there and I'm in rehearsal or I'm on stage, I have a modicum of rest because it's like, you know what, bitch, you did everything you were supposed to do and what it is is what it's going to be. So here we go. So that's kind of like the best way I can manage my stress personally because I care so much about delivering beautiful, beautiful results. Like there's nothing in the world that matters more to me than getting on stage with amazing world-class musicians and making beautiful sounds. That fills my heart up. So if I drop the ball, I am just beating myself up so hard, which is not the healthiest. Um, But it causes me to pursue excellence and to strive for that excellence. And I don't know, that satisfies me. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. <laughs> is there any like mo- anything you would like tell yourself or like exercises besides just like this daily preparation that you're doing? Yes. Um, very much so. I have vocal exercises that I do pre-show. I'm pretty superstitious about that. <laughs> you know, I have this whole regiment of humidifying and certain things to drink. Like I actually drink hot water with nothing. No lemon, no nothing, just hot water humidifying vocal warmups. Um, there are certain prescription, not prescription, but over-the-counter things I take that affect my voice very positively. And I will not share because that <laughs> I'm going to say for a vocal workshop, but they're really effective. But on the last Game of Thrones tour, it, it was really challenging. The, the travel was challenging and the tour schedule was very intense. Not a tour schedule that a celebrated artist would indulge. Like if I were a Stevie Nicks or a Barbara Streisand, I would have never agreed to our tour schedule. As it stands, I'm not that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just the lowly singer that they hired. But on Game of Thrones, I'm singing lead. So on that particular tour, it was really challenging because the schedule was like night after night. So what I did before every show, that was probably the hardest I've ever worked mentally to be present and clear and positive. Woo! Took everything that was inside of me. And I wrote down mantras. Yeah. And honest to God, I was reading this book about presence. I don't remember the name of the author, but there's a book about presence that just came out. New York Times bestseller. I was reading that book to keep it in my system while I was on this tour. And then I had these mantras. And right before I walked on stage, I would not let a single negative thought enter my brain. I looked at two pages of mantras. I said them out loud and I let them get into my body. And when I went out on stage, then I let it all fall away. And I practiced what I was reading in this book, which was presence. And I basically said to myself, and I should actually read you the mantras. They were so amazing. And like, I stand by them because they got me out on stage every night. I felt defeated on this tour, but they got me on stage. Were they part of the book or did you just create them. I created them. I wrote them down based on what I needed. Yeah. That's the most effective. Like that's how I always talk about to use affirmations. It's like, God, what negative thought are you having to listen to that so that then you can figure, well, what do I want to feel or what do I want? And so then you write that and you call yourself into it. And you know, what's funny is what works for you at one point doesn't work for you at another point. No. And that's also that I'm always reminding people like, I might give you this beautiful affirmation or mantra, or you might read it and you might think that's great. But if it doesn't resonate with you, if it doesn't excite you, if it doesn't something that you are like really want to call in for yourself and you're like, yes, then it's not gonna work. And that, yeah, sometimes it's just sometimes you can say the same one over and over and over for years and that's still yours. And sometimes it's like, nope, today it's this. So now it's this. And like you get 
old, you know, like if it's not sparking you anymore, then find another one, create another one. It has to speak to whatever you're facing, your fears, your challenges, your mental blocks. And so I wrote these mantras down because I knew what I was trying to come up against mentally every night. Yes. And I won't read the whole list. I'm so stoked that you did that. Why you never told me that? I'm like, I don't know. Did you know I have not I have affirmation deck and affirmation deck. I know that <laughs> you're my joyologist. Yes, I did. And you know what? I am cheering you on every time I hear you talk about affirmations because I'm like, bitch, yes. But no. And you know what's funny? That's the first time I've ever done this in my whole history of performing. I knew that mentally I was like, I'm not going to make this. And so I tried something different and it really worked. I love it. It really worked. Yeah. I'll just read you the very first one. Yeah. Read anything that you feel like you want to share. The title of my mantra list is thoughts to think before the show only (laughs) thoughts to think before the show only. Only. That's the name of my, my list thoughts to think before the show only number one, bitch, you're a champion. Yes. (laughs) Number one. Yeah. Persona. Like you are a champion. You're you're not feeling that bitch. You are a champion. champion. That's what you needed, wanted to read to call yourself into that. That gets you you excited about it. That got me into a mindset of whatever you're facing or dealing with right now, you're doing that shit. Like you are a champion. Don't deny that. And so that was number one. I'll, I'll read a couple. Um, People don't want to look on stage and see you being small. Oh. They want to feel inspired and see you being a badass. Yeah. And having fun and owning your little corner of the stage. And that's true. I feel like I could coach um, artists and and singers and performers because, well, I've been there. Um, But this is a big one. How about I want the audience to, to be like whoever that girl is right there. We want more of her. So it's like my own way to to wrap myself up to shine in a sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. And you it's know? like you're getting what you want to feel, but also realizing there's people looking out there. What do I want them to be to getting feel. from me yeah. and feeling from me? Number 15, I want people to see me having fun and being victorious over my fears. So again, not getting on stage and being all inside myself. It's like I'm here to deliver you on a journey. So let me help you do that. And and let me get over myself to do that. So I want to mm. pause there. Mm-hmm. I love that. I want people to this. I, you know, I'm big on like word choices and usage. And that's why a lot of affirmations are, I am this, mm. like to call, calling it in. But with that, that's also an outside, I want this. You can also want. put this, in, Tell me. but an I want also is like, I want this to happen, but it's out there. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad. But another way to even that could make it more powerful for you is like people look at me. So write it as if it already yes, is happening. So what, what was it again? I want people to see me having fun and being victorious over my people fears. People see me having fun and see being victorious me. over my fears. That's brilliant. That, that could then call you more into that. That I Not that I want them to. Like yeah. people fucking do see that. It's already happening. Yeah. Trisha, that's genius. Yeah. I, I love being, that. I, I don't think I invented that, but I'm big on paying attention to words and the shifts they can make. That's genius. <laughs> so it's almost like calling you into more accountability. Yeah. Like, this is already happening. That's genius. Yeah. Like that is what you want, but one can still leave it as out there. Yeah. I want that. But now I'm like, yeah, people that's already what they get from me because I'm, I'm showing up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, and that's basically like the next one was I want people to feel love and heart when I sing. So 
people feel love love. and they feel my heart when I sing. There you go. And I will say this last thing. Bran, I don't know, you don't watch the show, but Bran Stark, who is the three-eyed raven, his mother, he and his mother. Oh, you're talking about Game of Thrones. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking. We're talking Game of Thrones now, people. (laughs) Which is the (laughs) tour you're on. the tour where I needed the mantras. Where you need the affirmation. So Bran Stark came to our show in London and his mother came who we got to know. She's lovely. And anyway, one night after the show, after I had started using mantras, she came up to me and she literally said one of my mantras back to me. (gasps) It was outstanding. I was, I got like shivers. And she said, she said, it's so beautiful watching you sing. I feel so much heart when you sing. And she literally said it to me and I was like, oh, wow. So I just, yeah. So these are the things that I do to get on stage. And luckily they're working. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. I yeah. love, and that was one of the things when I created my work of being a geologist for the tours and stuff like that, it, we did do affirmations. And I even on the front of the stage by the monitors, there would yeah. be a different short one that I knew that they could like easily see if any case they got into like, oh shit, I did that or what is happening, whatever. And look down and like be something to try to bring them back to the moment yes. and, and enjoying it and recognizing <laughs> themselves and not get out of their heads and allowing yourself to only be in this mind space of like greatness and being a champion. It's just, it's almost like a trick, but it works. No, I know. It's amazing. I got, it's like, it's like positive brainwashing. Is is. that what I call it? Oh my God. That's genius. Trisha. Yeah. Positive brainwashing. Yeah. And so when you said you didn't like negative thoughts come in, so if they started to pop up, was there something that you said to be like, "Eh, not listening? Like, was there anything you said or you just like kept or chose another uh, mantra to say again? I think I would literally just, I, I kind of go into a meditative state before show anyway. So I get really still in my brain um, and I just wouldn't think anything else. I would just wash everything clean and just say these and then go on stage. <laughs> and, I love hearing yeah. this. So that, yeah. So that's part of my process of performance. I love it. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption because I wanted to make sure you guys know about, since we're talking a lot about chronic pain, physical pain in this episode, that one of the things that has been really healing for me is I bought this infrared sauna blanket. It's like a sleeping bag with infrared rays. They detoxify, they boost collagen, they help for sore joints, muscles. It helps me so much and it's really like major self-care. So I lay in the blanket fully clothed. I put on like, you know, clothes I don't care about and then wash them immediately after. Turn on a good show or a podcast, lay in there and sweat. And afterwards, I feel amazing. So for sure, if you have any sort of chronic pain issues at all, look into this. But also just like you're sore from being in your car all the time, from standing, from exercising, whatever it is. It's so, so, so good for you. Go to higherdose.com. Check out the infrared sauna blanket. There'll be a link in the show notes, of course. And you can use a code from me, JOY50, to get $50 off. And they also even have a zero interest installment plan. That's what I did because it makes it just so much easier to say yes to investing in this thing that will last for years and years and years. And I mean, I've been using it like four days a week lately because I have been feeling some shitty days in my body. (laughs) And I don't know what I'd be able to do if I didn't have this thing, honestly. If you have any questions, feel free to message me. I honestly 
love this thing so much. Infrared sauna blanket. Go to higherdose.com. If you use code JOY50, you get $50 off. All right, let's get back to the episode. Okay, let's now talk about you recently have been dealing with some physical Mm -hmm. pain, real stuff that's happening Mm -hmm. in your body. Hmm. Yes. And how that's affecting your mind, your life. Yes. Wow. I don't even know what to say about this. I know. There's so much I can say. Yeah. You felt for most of your life, you seem, yeah, you're pretty healthy. Oh, super healthy. You were fit. I mean, you still are fit, but. Yeah, no, I, I count myself lucky. I've never, ever had major ailments, you know, that I can name. I know people who've had fibroids and all kinds of things. I don't know. And I've never had any issues until two and a half years ago, December of 2016. And everything changed for me. So, yeah. And I just called Trisha the other day out of the blue and I spewed my issue at her. I don't even think she knew what was going on. But yeah. No, I totally didn't. Because I do remember you at first telling me that there had something happened. You were having back problems. Yes. And that. So I do know that. But then I hadn't, you hadn't mentioned it recently. So I had forgot about it or figured it was under control or something. And so you yes. are going through something. There is something real happening. You're going to have, yes. you're having back surgery even, mm-hmm. which is major. Major and long and the short of it is I have a spinal deformity. I was born with it. It's congenital, but it's something called spondylolisthesis. It's not as glamorous as scoliosis or spina bifida. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near as glamorous. <laughs> But it's right up there in terms of being really intrusive in your life. Um, But essentially, I have a broken back, which sounds so crazy to say. But I've been living my whole life with a broken back. And what happens is when it becomes acute, your vertebra that's broken, I'm trying to make this really basic, your vertebra that's broken slides forward from the rest of your vertebra and rests on the vertebra below it, which, as you can imagine, is very painful. So I have vertebrae that are rubbing against each other and one of them is just sticking way out from the rest of them. So it's basically slipped. So that's what I have. And that happened in December of 2016. I was on tour with Barbara Streisand, got out of bed in a hotel in Florida and couldn't walk. And I I got out of bed and I was like, I think this is one that's beyond my chiro, my chiropractor. So I came home, saw an orthopedist, got a CT scan, found out I have this condition. But the weird thing is that Number one, it's been a process and a journey for me. Being someone that's, I, I feel like I have a nice body. Like I take pride in my body. I stay fit. I'm active. Um, I take care of myself, eat well. All of a sudden, I got trapped in pain jail. And it was the most eye-opening and humbling experience of my whole life because I basically suddenly had a chronic pain condition. And I didn't even know I had a chronic pain condition, but I did. So I spent the last two and a half years, like in the depths of depression, trying to navigate my once vivacious, bouncy lifestyle of travel and entertainment with this new reality, which was isolating me and bringing me to my knees in terms of my emotions and my energy. The confusing thing is the first doctor I went and saw is a conservative doctor, which is great. It's not a bad thing. But he didn't give me the information. He didn't arm me with the information to get to the right answers. So I went on tour, the first Game of Thrones, second. So he did, though, 
diagnose like he, he diagnosed was like okay me. this is what it is and then you left his office with the what exactly he, he he gave me a term for it i saw my x-ray the break it was very obvious there was a real thing wrong but i basically left his office without really under I, I didn't know i just didn't know how to address it like he didn't say this is what we need to do you got to do this this is what this guy let me tell you what this guy said trisha he said okay you have this thing it's horrible you have this is the break in your back Call our pain management doctor and make an appointment. Oh. And that was it. But at the time when so I was like, gal, our pain management doctor will probably prescribe you pain medicine. And when he said that to me, you know, he basically said, we're going to give you steroid injections. You're going to do physical therapy. It just sounded like a cheap bandaid. It didn't sound like a real treatment or answer. So I got the steroid injection, went to physical therapy and so then you went did on, follow through. With I totally that. followed yeah. through with what he said. I did not make an appointment to go see the pain management doctor because I was doing what the doctor told me to do, which was yeah. the injection and the physical therapy. And then I had to go on tour. Also, I didn't want to take a bunch of opioids. Yeah. So when he says pain management doctor, all I can think is they're going to write me a prescription for Percocet. And that's not what I want. So anyway, and, and the long and the short of it is, is I went on tour, did my best to manage the pain. It's very hard to be on stage and occupy a performance space when you don't even feel settled in your body. Well, I feel like even probably more so that your instrument is compromised lives in your body. Yeah. <laughs> that it's yeah. nothing to be on stage and be like playing a piano Different. or something. Then like you use your body to make to music. generate the sound. Yeah. So it was very unsettling. Just if you can imagine mentally, like going out there working and knowing your back is broken and you're walking across stage in costumes, <laughs> it's just very bizarre. I was just sort of like, I hope I'm not limping. I mean, it was, it was, I almost had to call them and tell them, I don't know if I can do this project. And I really wanted to do it, but I just found out I had a broken back. Yeah. So it was really weird. Anyway, the long and the short of it is fast forward another year, year and a half, and the pain is getting worse. And I have no more new answers or no more new information. At this point, I start researching and I don't want to talk no, about this fine. forever, but I start researching and it's just a horrible condition. I have so much compassion for people with chronic pain conditions, whether it's fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, even all these autoimmune disorders and rheumatoid arthritis, so much, all of this stuff. But, but in my research and trying to find my own answers, I've learned that a lot of it is a result of neural pathways. And I called Trisha not that long ago and I talked to her about all this and she was like, what are you talking about? But a lot of the chronic illnesses and chronic pain conditions have to do with emotional pain mixing in with physical pain. And I don't want to sound too new agey, but I literally had to lift myself up from the depths of my life falling apart over the last almost three years to now where we are to this present moment, which is I finally pulled myself together enough because pain is exhausting. Yeah. Let me tell you. It's pain a lot. is exhausting. And even you have something, you have a, a broken back. Mm -hmm. So you're like, I have chronic pain, but there's like something there. Whereas Actually. I have something that creates chronic pain and it's not like, yeah, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was eight which I'm still like, well, I don't even know. That was when that term first got thrown away. I have something mm -hmm. that gets this and that. I can maintain it by taking a certain care of me, but sometimes it gets sparked. 
But when that I had a month this year where it came up and I think it must have been because of rain because I don't we don't even experience yes. rain. It was cold and rainy that month and I was miserable that month. Yes. And I was like, holy shit, I can't believe I used to feel like this all the time. What is happening? And there's also there's things that I've now learned over the years make me feel better or make the pain more manageable. But you're in so I was in so, so much, pain much pain that it takes so much effort and work to like remove myself from the couch to like go lay on this thing that'll help or like go take the Epsom salt bath or wait, what was those pills? Like what's oh God, the yes. um, supplement? Like all of these things, like you're in Energy. so much pain and taking care of yourself at the same time is like Herculean so effort. hard Herculean effort. to try to do the things that make you feel better. And the thing is people are looking at you and you look fine to them. Yeah. There's no open wound. There's nothing broken that they know of. You know, you're fit, you know, so they're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? But they don't, you're in miserably in pain. And so the thing that I ran into with this condition more than anything was there was no easy answer and yeah. probably just a metaphor for all things in life. Well, it's also too, like when you were calling me and talking <laughs> to me about this, then you were like, Trisha, I... I don't know exactly how you said it. And like, I have to advocate. Yeah. What did you say? Well, yeah, I, I figured out, like, I went through a really bad depression when I came off tour last October, November, December, January is when I started to get myself together emotionally and energetically. And I realized no one is going to help me. Duh. It sounds obvious, but when you really let it sink in, you realize you, you have to get it together so you can advocate for yourself. I don't have a partner, you know, my mom and dad are doing their own thing. And so it's like, I can't expect someone to go to the doctor with me and ask all the questions. I have to know what questions to ask. I have to do my own research. And it seems obvious, but it's daunting at the time. Yeah. And you you said it with that so much like emotion, like I advocate for myself or whatever. Yeah. And because my journey with this started so long ago and I've found my own answers and found what worked with me, then I was so like, I was like, well, duh. I didn't say. And Trisha kind of treated me that way too. I didn't say <laughs> duh to you, but I remember being like, uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Keep talking. And yes. Because I was like, okay, I'm here to hear you out. Right. And then, but I was like realizing, well, right. I went through this so long ago. And for me, it was like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I, from the time, from as long as I can remember, had pain, Always. had this, whatever, and had to then tell my mom who would then make it a doctor's appointment, make this doctor's appointment. And I had to keep mm. speaking up saying, this thing's bothering me, these things bother me, this things bother me. I finally got a word to be like, see, this they say something's wrong with me. <laughs> and then once I had that word, it's sort of like, oh, I have a word. But then they still gave me medicine that didn't help. And there oh. wasn't anything that helped. So then it was still back to like, well, I just know that I feel terrible, mm-hmm. but I want to live my life. And I want to be this. And I'm going away to college to learn to, you know, like figure out my life. And I want to do this. So I have to figure out how can I make my life, how can I make my pain more manageable so that I can enjoy my life? And sometimes it Uh, was just like, oh, you know what? I don't feel good when I do this thing. So don't let me remove that thing. Right. But I can't even imagine. I am in so much pain right now, but I am doing this thing that I want to do. So it's more bearable because I'm doing this thing that lights me up and excites me. So for me, my pain has actually been such a gift. And that early on too, because I was always in tune with my body then. And like, something's happening, something's happening, something's happening. Am I not taking care of my, you know, something happening because I'm not taking the great care of myself. I'm mm-hmm. going too hard. I, mm-hmm. you know, was moving a ton of boxes or like whatever it could be. Did I eat something that didn't Set me like, off. Like, yeah. agree with me or something like that? 
Or is it, am I in a situation that I don't like? And so it's yeah. making me notice the pain I live with every day. Yes. But when I'm doing things that bring me joy, I don't notice them as much. But when I'm in a situation of yes. friendship, a relationship, working with someone that doesn't in an environment that I really don't like and isn't serving me, then I notice my pain more. more. Mm. And that goes back to what I called you about, which is this idea. So the thing with this condition that I'm dealing with is you can have back surgery, but it doesn't mean you're going to get better. So you spend all this money and spend all this time recovering and you could end up worse. And the reason for that is because of this thing that I called Trisha about called central sensitization. And what it means is you as an individual register pain um, more intensely than it may even be firing in your body, but it's because of neural pathways that have been embedded in your nervous system that intertwine with emotional pain, physical pain and, inter- and emotional pain fire up different parts of your brain, but they use the same, I quote unquote, this is what the book told me, they use the same drivers. So the same pathways are delivering this information to your brain and it gets mixed in. So you can have this thing where your pain bodies are overly adrenalized. And it's as if to say, if I am someone struggling with this, I can have surgery and end up worse because my nervous system hasn't been calmed down. And when I started to discover this, my mind was blown because I feel like most people don't know this. I don't know it. And I'm still like not (laughs) a thousand. I don't, I'm like, I get it, but I don't hundred percent get it. Mm. You know, because I'm far-fetched. Doesn't sound far-fetched. It's just even, I'm just, again, thinking of my own experience where Mm -hmm. I did just say, Mm -hmm. for sure when I'm in a place where I'm not emotionally happy or I'm not facing something when I'm ever, that I can feel my pain more. But it, for me, like I said, it's some, oftentimes me just noticing my pain or something's kind of the service. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that what you're saying is wrong. I'm just yeah. now trying to relate my experience to like, could that be what you're saying? Yes. Because what also like, and what I'm relating to is much different than when you're saying I could have this surgery and then still feel all of this pain because it's tied into some emotional pathways. Because mine is like, it's not ever present. What you're saying is if I could have the surgery mm-hmm. and I could still feel as much pain. pain or more mm-hmm. then in the way I'm relating it to be, then it would be like, in my reference, that would only be if you were in shitty situations <laughs> that you're being emotionally triggered. Yes. Or yes. Or it could just be stuff that you maybe haven't really processed and you're holding in your body. So it's like emotional pain that you just sort of sat on at some point. And it now is evidencing itself by mixing in with physical pain. But when that's been able to be healed, if you feel dive into the emotional pain and work to heal it. Yes. In this theory. Yes. So you can get the surgery. And if you're still feeling pain, then you're like, I need to do some fucking emotional work. (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous, right? (laughs) But that's what. That's what I'm reading. So there are three books that I've read recently. But what I'm saying is, yeah. well, cool. You're still going to, you can still have the possibility of feeling better. Yes. And that was, so, <laughs> so to anybody listening. You just might got to do some more work on yourself. And that occurred to me. I was like, well, bitch, you need to do the surgery and still work on your stuff. Like that is exactly where I arrived. But, but who wants to spend money on a hundred thousand dollar surgery and be right. in bed for three months only to feel worse? So that, that again, so this pain condition I've been living with, it's the kind of thing where sometimes I am frozen 
Like I can't even put pressure on my foot without screaming and crying. It's literally like a lightning bolt of pain shoots through your whole body and you just cry out. It's horrible. And suicide, honestly, Uh. I'm not a suicidal person, but there were so many moments when all I could think was, if I can just convince my mom and my son, this is for the best because I won't hurt anymore and it's going to be okay. I just need to get out of here. Like that was, that's how bad the pain has been. And when you're in that kind of pain, you're not dating. (laughs) You're not going out and putting on makeup and high heels. Like you're kind of dying a slow death inside your, your prison jail body, you know? So it's horrible. And I've been going through this for two and a half years. And then I started reading all this research that's like, oh, sure, you can have the surgery, but you might feel worse. So it was just such a defeating place to be. Now I'm starting to understand that. (laughs) That's what I was like. But yeah, you can feel worse, but then you can still heal that pain just in a different way. Yes. What will only improve you anyway, and that maybe it's work that needs to be done whether you're feeling the physical pain or not. Yes. My eyes are open very wide. (laughs) Looking at Stevie (laughs) at this moment. (laughs) But first they were very squinty and then they were wide. (laughs) Boy, we wish you could see this podcast. Yes. To to summarize all of this, I have discovered that my particular condition is best served by actually addressing the structural and having a surgery that includes a spinal fusion. But for most people who have chronic pain, and I'm using air quotes, chronic pain, whether it's back pain or, you know, autoimmune issues and ankylosing spondylitis, all these things, a lot of it is something that you can deal with emotionally. There are pain psychologists And there are rehabilitation centers that are, they don't do anything other than calm your nervous system. And I think that a lot of people would be benefited from this information because it's called unspecified back pain. And a lot of people go to these surgeons and, you know, granted the medical industrial complex, air quotes again, they're going to sell you a surgery if they can. You want back surgery? Okay. okay. Right. So if I go (laughs) in with back pain, I'm like, oh, doctor, work on me. A lot of doctors are going to be like, sure. And they're not going to necessarily be able to guarantee you're improved. I say this to say that if you're a person that doesn't actually have a structural issue like moi, you might be served by understanding this concept of central sensitization because it could address your chronic pain. Yeah. And I'm so about that life right now. I just want to tell everybody about this. Well, I'm also glad that we brought this up besides that initial conversation we had over the phone. Because again, like, I was then, I took it as you were saying, Mm. hey, your chronic pain might just just be emotional. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Mm -mm. no, because it gets triggered by certain things I do and eat or put myself through or weather. And when I do other things, it feels better. Even so sometimes, Mm -hmm. like I said, I can notice my pain more if I'm in a visitor situation. So I was like, I don't buy into that. But so now what I'm more hearing is somebody that has a chronic pain issue of somewhat is likely there are real physical ailments. Absolutely. But of course, and something that I have believed too, that stress, you know, people would say like, Absolutely. it's not a stress thing. This chronic pain isn't just stress and you're making it up and it's not real because some doctors say that. Yeah. And I was once told that like your pain isn't real. Oh. It's just the of stress and like you're. That's a heartbreak. Like, totally. So that's why yeah. I got a little when you were having this conversation. Right. Of like, no, nope. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. No. Like, 
100% not trying to say that to you. And see, she was like, read these books. And I was like, nope, nope. don't want to. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I don't want to get triggered and upset by anything I might have to say because no. I'm great in noticing what's happening in my body and mind and dealing with it so that yeah. it doesn't damage me. And you know what? To drive the point home so that you know I'm not saying it's in your head, it's things like phantom limb syndrome. Yeah. So, and that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So it's not you. I, when I first heard it, was feeling like it was just only emotional and rigor. And I'm saying like, there are probably real things physically that 200%. have happened in your body or that are happening. But yes, the emotional state can then trigger Heighten. it yeah. or feel it or whatever. And that there are, there is different modalities and work that's being created to help deal with that. Yes. Yes. So your nerve pathways, whether it's phantom limb syndrome or you don't feel hot or cold or whatever, all of these things, they, they're obviously going through your nervous system. Well, your nervous system is what processes your emotions. It's your brain. Yeah. And so they get mixed up. So if you have emotional pain bodies, but you're also experiencing physical pain or you have a nervous system that's supercharged, they get mixed up. And guess what? You've got chronic pain. And so it's not in your head. You're feeling the pain, but it's the kind of thing that you can address physically. So you calm your body and your mind follows. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Okay. And I was feeling like when you were originally saying that it was the opposite. It's both. Yeah. So one serves the other. I know. And so I- I mean, that totally makes total sense to me because like really I'm like does. when you, we were having this conversation and I was like, well, no, I'm good because of this. And I was like, really, it sounds like it's actually work. I have been doing. It's exactly what you've been doing. And <laughs> without you, knowing it, I was just yes. like, this is how I get through my life. You were on your, in your own rehab. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you started telling me, you're like, well, I'm not really there anymore. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, but I realized you'd done the work. Yeah. You've done all the things I've been reading about in these books because I'll tell the books to your listeners when we're done. But um, these books all talk about ways to physically address your nervous system, which addresses your emotions, which addresses your physical, which addresses your emotions. They go hand in hand. They go back and forth. Yeah. So, it's, so that's what, and, and that was my, and like, as we talked about earlier, when like I first was like getting diagnosed with something, I did try to do other research, but that was way before that was in 99. Mm-hmm. The internet was existing, but there wasn't fiber wasn't even out there. I was like reading what are natural ways to heal this. There was like certain things like there was a side note asterisk at the bottom of a page of fibromyalgia in this like natural healing book. Reducing eating gluten could reduce symptoms. Wow. So that wasn't even when I decided in 2004 to eliminate gluten to see if it would affect me, which wow. it totally did. Like, Amazing. I didn't like that. No, I was like, I'm so healthy. I eat 100% whole wheat everything back then. Wow. You were so ahead of the curve. But so I read, so I, I had a friend who was very overweight and he had some sudden like heart, cert, like heart problem and his doctor conventional doctor said you need to change your diet and he had him go vegan and gluten-free wow in 2004 wow this man who was like my rock and roll dad that really uh-huh. helped me when i was becoming a sound engineer uh-huh. and pushed me to like go oops i'm running i'm going to the bathroom you got to run sound like that kind of Love. shit yeah I'm, i got this side gig trish you're gonna come and run sound oh no Love. i'm scared i can't do it he then came to visit me in San Diego from Chicago after eating this way. And I was like, oh, we're eating Indian food. He just doesn't eat the bread. Okay, we're eating Middle Eastern food. 
he just doesn't eat. Like, so I got to see, oh, I can, uh, there's ways I could try this. this. And it doesn't mean to stop eating everything. But that was before there was like, you go in the store and there's gluten for everything. Yeah. They were going to no restaurants. They're like, what are you even talking about, lady? What's gluten? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he was like the inside of like, okay, this doesn't look that hard. I mean, maybe I was trying It's this. doable. So I committed to it. And within, it was, it, I read that it was going to take 10 days to get out of my body. 10 on day 10. No. I woke up for the first Feeling time better. in my freaking life with no pain. Oh. Normally I'm like, I got to my. force myself to do yoga or I'm going to try to Gosh. go on a lifting machine and I'm going to be like crying because I'm in so much pain for 15 minutes until I finally feel good. Like oh I, had, my I had done God, so much Trisha. self-care thing and stuff up to that point to be able to feel better and have to push through these hard things. I was like, what is this feeling? Of lightness. So, and it didn't totally, like, they would still, there's different things that would set it up. But for me, that was game changing. But what I'm saying is, like, back then, it was just, like, an asterisk of, like, but so, yeah, but I'm saying is, so then that, but even throughout my life as I just started creating, the doctor said this, they gave me these things, they didn't help. I tried to find information. At that time, there wasn't much information, so I didn't get lost into trying to find oh. the cure and the information. Yeah. I just realized I feel good when I do this. I don't feel good when I do this. Uh, body feels good. Uh, yoga feels good in my body. Holy shit. So, okay, I got to make that a priority. Like, so I just, it was all like learning. And then it was for me also in like, I can't, there's mental, if there's something mentally weighing on me or if I'm in a bad situation yeah. or if I'm not saying something or whatever then that's starting to like make me notice my pain more, which makes me more uncomfortable, which makes me not be able to show up for my life, which I love because I'm living my dream. I became a sound engineer and I fought so hard to make that happen. That means I'm going to have to go have that hard conversation or I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't like doing these shows. I I have to like do these things that maybe were hard things. But because I realized my pain was starting to show up more, whether it was me just paying more attention to it or that it actually was starting to percolate in my body. Yeah. So that I was... I was doing that emotional and physical work. That's the, and that's the amazing thing. Like in talking to you about this, hearing what you said to me, I was like, wow. Like, the, honestly, you deserve an award. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Ah! <laughs> Seriously, though, to be that young and to be an agent for yourself, to have the agency to say this works for me, that doesn't. I need some care here. I don't need to do that. Like, you're brave and fearless mentally and emotionally to be able to advocate for yourself like that. Most of us are just kind of going along with the, you know, the flow and you're like, no, I have an issue and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to fix myself. And you did it. And most people don't understand that process. They don't understand that they can actually control some of their chronic pain. Yeah. It's how they approach it. And I'm not saying it's just like the easiest, but it was not easy to try those things to be like, let me try not to do it. Let me do this. Let me not eat that let me try green juice every day like things take work oh, and then also like so the emotional stuff of being like sorry i can't hang out with you anymore sorry i don't like going to the bar and being around well, smoke anymore sorry i actually don't work with of people. that place you worked in the mall that made you feel bad yeah 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 so when tell i was that. like 16 17 i had a you know i had a job like working in a certain store at the mall i don't even remember what it was i think it was a, a card store like a greeting card store Loved it. My best friend was like the coolest <laughs> in school at that time. She had a job at Kirkland's, which is like a home <laughs> furnishing store that had so much stuff in it. And Kirkland's was then hiring. She was like, Trisha, you got to get a job at Kirkland's. It's the best. I love it. Jill loves it. 
I'm going to fucking love that job, right? Mm-hmm. Got got a job at Chir- Kirkland's. I'm mm-hmm. so cool. Work in the same place as Jill. And I realized that I was just like felt miserable every day. You went to work. Every day I was at Kirkland's, I was like, I am hating this. That's so deep And I me. can't even pick out any reason. It wasn't like people were rude or it was harder in some way or I had to like do something. I just knew I didn't feel good. And also was like, but Jill loves this job. And geez, the cool, everybody loves Jill. I love Jill. And I was just like, I don't feel good when I'm here. So I don't think I can work here. And then I got a job at a record store and I became the manager and And I loved it. And you felt fine. Yeah. (laughs) That's so, but see, that's so profound to me. And like, honestly, I'm not making this stuff up. I've talked to Western doctors and I'm like, okay, so central sensitization. And they're like, yeah, like they acknowledge it's real. So it's about whatever it means to calm your nervous system. You have to stay in that space. Yeah. And it sometimes is like not even have to figure out why. All I know is for some reason, I'm not liking it here. Something was triggering you. And so I don't need to be here. (laughs) But sometimes it it is like, okay, I'm feeling this. And it's like, why am I feeling it? Oh, because I need to have that conversation with that person. Um, There's something I'm not saying. It's not like you're running from things. Yeah. Yeah. But in that situation, it's like, I just, I'm actually, there's nothing about this job that I can name that I don't like or why it's making me feel this way. But for some reason, it's not. I don't know. And so I can't continue to put myself in this situation. Because why the fuck am I going to keep putting myself in a place of pain? Which we do over and over and over. Emotional pain. Yep. But and physical pain. And so many people too, like you were like, I remember when you first got the back pain, I was like, so you'd like never felt back pain. I was like, well, I mean, I had back pain, but you just like Mm -hmm. keep going. Or so many people like don't feel great in their bodies. Yeah. And they're just like, keep going, Mm -hmm. keep going. I'm going. I'm like, but to me, if a pain shows up for me, like today I got out of the car, I'm feeling tight, whatever I've been driving. So what do I do? I did. I started it. to stretch in your driveway while yeah, I was waiting for you. I pulled if up I'm and she not, was in my driveway doing yoga. It was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not feeling great, if there's something bothering me, then I see what can I do to try to feel better. And it's so simple, but I now I'm able to see like not everybody does that. They're just like, I don't feel good. Let me lay on the couch. Listen to this woman. She's good. a visionary. She's ahead <laughs> of her time. It's true. You got. You have to advocate for yourself. Self care. It's like a overly used cliche term now but really it's everything yeah because i've been so miserable the last two and a half years i couldn't be good to anyone and that makes the world a shittier place yeah and if you watched my video (laughs) i call bullshit on self-care being selfish oh it's not it's the most giving thing you can do for others because it is when you're taking the best care of yourself you sometimes got to say no to things do whatever, choose to make time for yourself to be your best self, then you're showing up as your better version of self and not like, oh my God, I'm in so much pain. I can't really be present for you, but I couldn't say no to you. So I'm here, but I'm miserable and you're not fun to be around. That person's like, what the fuck is up with her? Is she acting like this because she doesn't even like me anymore? And they're spinning stories about you. But can we talk about this concept of being selfish? Because honestly, here's my take on it. I love being around people who are selfish. And here's why. When people are quote unquote selfish, they are supposedly narcissistic, indulgent, but I, I look at it as this is a person who takes care of themselves. You know what that means? I don't have to worry about them <laughs> because I know they're always going to make sure they're okay. And when you're with people like that, it's very freeing. I love being with my friends who know how to say exactly what they mean and put themselves in a space where they're comfortable. That way, 
I don't have to jostle around and be like, oh my God, girl, what can I do for you? Oh my God, are you okay? Do you feel good? Like, no. Or even to be like, what is she thinking? Or is she actually saying what she means? Even worse, right. Is she being honest about what she needs in this moment? I love people who are very forthright. How do you feel about me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm kidding. I think that you're a perfect example of someone who says what you need when you need it. And those are the people I like to be with. I never take offense when someone's clear with me because it's like, oh my God, take care of yourself. Because then I never have to worry about you. And it's a very liberating thing. So I love my quote unquote selfish friends. Because then when we're together, I only have to worry about me. (laughs) (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I don't like love like my, like the words like selfish. selfish. Yeah. But I, I mean, I get the way you're using it is that it's more like, it's sort of like, so it's kind of like self-aware is what really? I'm reading it is. Yeah. Your selfish friends are your self-aware friends yeah. that they like, they know what they got to do to take care of themselves and to show up for themselves and I show up for you. So they're self-aware. Friends. Sometimes that means like, no, they're, they're just got to stay home tonight yeah. and not hang out with you because they're not going to be the best person around yeah. you. Yes. And, and I love that. Let's take the word selfish and call it self-aware for sure. That's. But, but I even, again, I think selfish is stigmatized and I... No, I'm not saying everything wrong. Yeah. I just myself was like, okay. And especially if anybody else out there, I don't want them to be like, oh, selfish friends. Yeah. Like, whatever. I love my self-aware just friends. To expand on that. Yeah. 200%. Yeah. I'm a fan. Awesome. I think... Did we explore... I think we explored... Motherhood enough? <laughs> Do you want to talk about motherhood? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can end I on it real like, quickly. I'm like, We're at a good place, though. Like, I feel like we've had I we've covered some good ground. <laughs> I think also Trisha sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. No, I am good. I was just like, yeah. Do you, it's funny because since I've no, when I first met you, your son was God eighteen or something. I feel like he mm. was at least yeah, probably younger, maybe a little bit younger. Really? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, it was probably. But yeah, like to me, it's just such yeah. a different thing because I didn't really, I never like, you know, it's just like, whoa, you have a grown kid. So I don't yeah. fully experience it with your mother, even though we do always talk, talk about, about him. Your yeah, son. you're always so sweet and you always ask. I always appreciate it too. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't, big part of my life. Have I ever met him? I don't I feel know. Like I, I feel like I have, but I don't think it's I have. It's funny because I feel like I, you like, have too. Because we always talk, talk about, about him. him. Yeah. yeah. You probably know more about him than the next person. But yeah, I don't think you've met. But he's amazing. You will meet him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love of my life. And you're, so yeah, what's it like being a mom of a grown, grown man who is making his grown ass choices in ways in the world? I am very lucky. My son is an, a proper adult. He's graduated from college and is working professionally as a film and TV editor. So that's pretty awesome. It is. Yeah. So awesome. Especially because we were statistics. <laughs> you were... Right. We were statistics. So he and I are both not supposed to be, you know, well-educated and well-off. And, well, we've been blessed. But, yeah, he's great. He still needs me at the tender age of 27. (laughs) He he comes crying on my doorstep all the time. (laughs) But, no, it's amazing. I I will say this last thing and we can wrap it up. But at a particular age, you know, again, I was 16 when I had my son. Um, But at a particular age, maybe he was around, I don't know, 12 or 13. I remember he turned to me one day and he was like, you know what, mom, I just, I just want you to know that I'm looking forward to us spending our whole lives together. 
I know. It was the sweetest. And it was like he finally realized, like, we're really close in age, mom. Like, so we're going to grow old. He basically said, we're going to grow old together. And it was actually the sweetest thing because he's right. Like, we're going to experience everything together and we'll be around for each other. And so it's just wonderful. Like, we've had such an unconventional, extraordinary experience, him and I. And we are a team. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like me and him against the world. (laughs) So he's awesome. Love it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is it's really important as a mom to keep your dreams and your passions and your whatever your spice and your zest is, keep it alive in yourself so that you have something that fills you up. So you have something to give to your kids or else you will be an empty, bitter shell. And again, it's not selfish. It's self-aware. Yeah. Um, mothers sometimes get carded, you know, if they have their own dreams and desires. And I think that's the best example of motherhood. So, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I even me taking that. on this like new project of, you know, with doing these podcasts is that I'm taking a lot more time away from them and with other visions that I have for myself moving forward, but that I totally notice that now when I'm with them, because I'm loving so much what I'm doing. And how I feel that yeah. when I'm with them, I feel even so much more joy mm-hmm. and more present because mm-hmm. of like the more time I'm spending away and that I'm saving your cup this is time full. doing this. Yeah. And so when I'm with them now, I feel like I'm even more present and loving and appreciating mm-hmm. and acknowledging them. And that I feel and like joyful. I'm a more, yeah, I was yeah, about to just say I'm a you more joyful. your kids. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't, yeah. I don't think I, yeah, it had bitter and resentment. No, I'm sure um, you didn't. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm not mm. saying I probably wasn't bitter or resentment, but yeah, I also just, even though I was with them more and I, you know, I still am I'm like, but it's just, yeah, sometimes I'm gone for the entire day. Like I am yeah. today and that actually it feels, and someone's like, oh, I miss this song or whatever. But I'm like, mostly I just feel great about it. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You should. Because you're entitled to still have things that light you up individually. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm more like, even though when I see them again tomorrow, I might be tired. Yeah. But I'm still like just so filled up. Yeah, and it's true. And they so, see that in me. And it's true. I think it's a great example for young women and men to see that in their parents. You know, it's healthy. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> You're an awesome kick-ass mom. And so am I. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was about to... I not, haven't asked you the questions that I ask everybody. Oh, uh, I was like, uh, there was. I was like, there seems like there's a way I usually close things. Okay, I asked you to pick a keychain. Yes, and I'd like to know which one you picked and why. Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't know this was gonna work <laughs> against <laughs> me later. I don't always. I just be like, look at all these keychains. Pick them pick while I'm one. setting up, and I don't really make it known that I would like them to talk about it. All right. Well, let's see. I picked one of Trisha's fabulous keychains, the one that resonated with me. She had so many good ones and there were a few calling to me, but the one that glowed was I am enough. And I think most women (laughs) would probably resonate with this phrase. Um, God, what do I say? It's hard for me to put this into words. I don't want to get emotional, but yeah, I think society has a tendency to chip away at women's identity and their esteem, their self-esteem, their confidence. And um, there are a lot of little messages kind of aimed at you all the time. Either you're too sexy, you're not sexy enough, 
you're too smart. Oh, she's ditzy. Like, can't win for losing sometimes, right? And then sometimes relationships can be challenging. If you're looking to the opposite sex for some reflection of your worth, that's maybe not going to work for you. So you have to find ways to validate yourself. And you have to, one thing that I've discovered for me is my true self-worth comes from choices I've made that I respect. So even if other people are looking at me from the outside and they don't understand my movements or my rhythms, I know when I've made a choice within myself that I respect. And from that respect that I have for myself comes my validation and my sense of being enough. Sometimes those messages get lost inside of me and I forget who I am. But I think that's why this keychain was important for me because even in the off chance that I'm walking in Target and I happen to glance at my keychain, it will be important (laughs) for me to be reminded that wherever I'm at in that moment, I'm enough. Yeah. And it's one, it's actually like that phrase is the one for me where I'm just like, kind of want to roll my eyes at it. Really? Yeah. Because it's like, well, like we, like nobody really wants to be reminded that they could ever, that they are like fighting with that I am enough battle. But I think we all Oh, I think really are. And I even said to Trisha when I picked this keychain up, keychain up, I said, I feel like I know which one's your most popular. And for me, it would be this one. I feel like most people would go, yep, that's the one. And I could be totally wrong. I could be projecting it, it, that. You know, it is a popular one, but I also, like I said, think that a lot of people a reminder. would then not want to steer away with it because like, oh, I don't want people to think that I don't. That I don't think, think I'm enough. enough. But you know what? If but that's why most of the time you do need that reminder. And a lot of times when I'm sharing these keychains with everybody, I say, you don't necessarily pick the one that you love the most, but pick the reminder that you feel like you most. might need to see, be remi- like see the mm-hmm. most. Because mm-hmm. some people are like, oh my God, I love that statement. I love that phrase. But it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, but I might need the one that's going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And for me, like Trisha had, I am magic and you're a fucking badass or some other. She has some I great badass, ones. Yeah. But for me, I am enough is all of those things for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why this one was the one that I grabbed. I think it's great. It's going to carry me. What is a go or some of your go-tos or one of your go-tos to raise your joy levels when you oh. feel like you're feeling down or... That's a good one. Can it be something really stupid or does it oh, have to be please. like no. affirmational? No, Jeff was like, <laughs> said something, Jeff Babco, who yeah. we both know. We love. Like he said something like sweet and a like mindset switch. And I was like, and I'm pretty sure that you love coffee. Cause like, if I you know Jeff Babco, to- he goes, oh, I didn't know I was allowed to say that. I'm I like, know. <laughs> Coffee yes, it can be jam. anything. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's so funny about mine. It's kind of the same. <laughs> I love you, Jeff. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. So I'd be anything. Like, that's the real, and that's okay. why I want it to be real, because it's not like, yeah. of course, saying a beautiful mantra list, whatever. Yeah. It can be like, I turn on this song and I dance, whatever nope. it is. Like, it doesn't have to be something special. It's funny because it's special I, to us, but it's like, if that's something that brings you joy, then great. Do that thing. Honestly, I was just in my car today in traffic thinking about this. I was like, bitch, this is what you do when you're depressed. And one thing, it picks me up. Like when I'm feeling blue, <laughs> I literally frequent all the coffee houses in like Silver Lake at water area. I don't know if anybody knows the east side of LA, but like I have a group of coffee houses that I'll just visit and I go. I get a sugary iced coffee and a baked good that costs way too much money, (laughs) whether that's avocado toast or a chocolate croissant. And I go and I sit in the sun 
at one of these bakeries. I sit outside in the sun. I eat my coffee. (laughs) I mean, I drink my coffee. (laughs) I eat my baked good. Then I take my dog. My dog is a part of this whole journey. I take my dog and I walk around the Silver Lake Reservoir. I have an audio book in my ears that's generally like self-help affirmational. I'm good for those kinds of books. And that is literally what I do to get myself jump-started for a day. Like if I'm feeling um, unmotivated, I go get my baked good and my sugary coffee that I pay way too much for, sit in the sun, walk around the reservoir, and then I'm regulated. And I think the combination of the sun, the movement, you know, the sugar, (laughs) my dog looking happy, it just, it gets me in such a good space that I can't help but feel more grounded and regulated. Yeah. So yeah. Love that. That's my jam. I do that whenever I get depressed. (laughs) I do. It makes me happy. I was like, and you did that today. I sure did, honey. (laughs) And I'm going to do it tomorrow. (laughs) But that's great though. Just like, you know, like this makes me feel better. I'm going to go do that. And it never fails. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to kind of, we're probably repeating ourselves here, but you really have to fight for your life. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Every time I go get that sugary (laughs) croissant, fighting for my life. Oh, okay. I recently posted on Instagram. Well, recently, I don't know when this is going to air. I had this thought and I was like, oh, damn, that thought keeps showing up to me now in different ways. So I've been asking people how this shows up for you. The thought was what is easiest for me is not always what is best for Amen. me. Man. Yeah. You think of where you can apply that to your own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Absolutely. I mean, God, that's like a very heavy statement that a lot of people don't want to hear. Yeah. But let's say, what would I say about that? I feel like it's the ultimate like adulting statement, (laughs) right? Because I think the difference between childhood and being an adult is you now do the things that are best for you, whether you enjoy them or not, right? Who wants to floss? (laughs) (laughs) I actually really enjoy it. Wow. But not the, I like enjoy, it's bad for the environment, but those like flossers. Oh, but yeah. Like real floss. Bummer. I think. I think it's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I do it because I have to. It's not <laughs> it's necessarily best. what's fun. Because it's be- what is best but it's for me. Best for me. So, so yeah, I, I think that is a, a big statement. I, I guess if I could apply that to anything in my life, I would say that during this situation I've gone through with my back, um, I've said it already in this podcast, but I'm a pretty fit person and I live an active lifestyle but in the process of going through this condition where I was totally out of control, I learned what emotional eating is. And when you're in as much pain as I've been in consistently for the past two and a half years, when you get ready to sit down for a meal, you're not trying to exercise discipline. You want to eat something you enjoy. You want to have pasta and you want to have something really nurturing. You're not like eating kale when you're in so much pain. So For me, it felt good to eat certain things during this time, but I've had to really discipline myself to do what's best for me, which is eating in a way that kills my inflammation and calms my nervous system, right? More greens, more antioxidants and things that don't taste as good as sugary coffee and baked goods. 
But that's what's best for me because I'm not trying to downward spiral into oblivion and obscurity and bitterness and, and ill health. I'm trying to transcend this moment. So I had to discipline myself with my eating. Yeah. So didn't do what was fun, but I did what was best. Yeah. And I was even thinking earlier when we were talking about how like when you're in that pain mode, the self-care is like can be so hard where it's like, yeah, it's easiest for me is to lay on this couch because I'm in so Absolutely. much pain. But it's best for me is to like to move, get up and yeah, yeah. do some yoga, go for that walk or do some of these things 200%. that I know might help improve how I'm feeling. But oh my, I just want to stay here. It's like indulgence versus, you know, health, really. Like, you know, you want to lay on the couch. And there were days that I did that. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm like, sometimes it's cool to sometimes just lay that's on the great. couch. <laughs> yeah. But there are, you know, the other days when I'm out walking around the reservoir and I'm lifting weights at the gym and I'm in pain, but I know that I need to strengthen my core in order to continue walking. <laughs> or then you like feel better. Yes. Afterward. After that. And like 200%. Oh, right. Yeah. There was a physical therapist that told me motion is lotion. So you just keep going. Motion is lotion. Motion is lotion. (laughs) Okay. Last question is the working title for this podcast is claim it. Yes. Meaning it's up to us to claim whatever it is that we want for life. To claim our joy, to claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our future. Everything. Yeah. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Gosh, Trisha with the hard questions. What am I claiming? Gosh, there's so many things. God, can I say rebirth? Is that why? No, that's, why can't you? I don't know. I'm you're not afraid sure of what somebody will think. Proper concept. Yeah, I don't know. Renewal. I am claiming fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh mind, fresh start. Um, I, I'm having. I'm prepping for surgery. Major surgery on next week. So at this time, I'm kind of, I'm very still physically, emotionally, spiritually. My energy is still, and I'm just sort of drawing into myself so that I can be ready for this healing process. So for me, this healing process, as we already have mentioned in this podcast, it's physical, but it's emotional. And I'm, I'm actually using it as a metaphor for other things in my life. So it sounds so corny, but after I stabilize my spine, right? So the goal is to kind of lay a stronger foundation for everything else in my life and then begin everything over with different stability and undergirding, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I want to look at everything in my life from a new position of strength and power versus a version of myself before in a broken body. Yeah. So, yeah. And really, is that like looking at everything like, how is this serving me? Is this yes. serving me? Where are we going with this moving forward? Yeah. So for me, it is a very rebirth, renewal moment. And that's what I claim. I claim, yeah. A new awesome. Beginning. Yeah. I'm here for you. Yes. <laughs> I'm here for you. Thank you for <laughs> well, everything. So and opening I can't wait to hear so us much. back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of everything you're doing. You are a superwoman. Oh. And your joyologist is genius. And girl, you are dropping knowledge. Thank you. I don't know if you guys are seeing this woman's stories and checking out her YouTube series every day <laughs> or on IG or whatever, but 
She's dropping knowledge, just gems. So thank you. Thank you. It feels really good to share and to open up and to not be attached to how people are going to perceive me and the information and how Mm -hmm. I'm saying things or what I'm saying and sharing my personal experiences on these podcasts as well. Like it feels good to me Mm -hmm. to be opening up and sharing and expressing these things. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, it's brave. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, girlfriend. (laughs) I love you. I love you. Oh my God. (laughs) Claim it. Claim it. (laughs) You need a song. I know. I do actually. I'm happy to report that Stevie did have that back surgery a couple days after we recorded this podcast. And she did tremendously. Her body is healing tremendously. Six weeks out, she was in London on a stage for like, I don't even know, 100,000 people, probably more than that, performing with Barbara Streisand and she was feeling good. So she is recovering so well. And I'm so glad I got to have this conversation with her. To learn more about her, you can go to stevialexander.com or follow her at stevialexander on Instagram. That's two V's and an I. Of course, you can find the full notes and links at yourjoyologist.com slash podcast, Stevie Alexander. For more me, of course, at yourjoyologist on Instagram, yourjoyologist.com. Please share the episode, tag us, reach out to us. We love hearing from you and hearing what resonates. And this one could resonate with a lot of different people. So thank you so much for listening, for taking the time to tune in. And I would love for you to subscribe, rate the show, and leave a review. I love hearing how things are resonating with you. And um, as a thank you, if you screenshot it to me and send it to podcast at yourdrologist.com, you'll be entered to win a box of inspiring goodies from my product line. I've got mugs. I got wine glasses. I got keychains. I got magnets. I got notepads. I got journals. I have the Own Your Awesome Affirmation deck. So much good stuff. So screenshot it to me. Send it you might win a box full of empowering goodies. All right. Today, I would love for you to think about what are you claiming right now for yourself today? What are you claiming? Are you claiming joy? Are you claiming you're enough? Are you claiming your vision? Are you claiming? What are you claiming? Send it to me. DM me at your joyologist. Have an awesome day. Own who you are. Love who you are. I'm here for you.